Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. We've spoken a lot on this show about how a cocktail, whether it's old or new, becomes famous, and instances where modern bar individuals have rediscovered forgotten gems. But in today's episode, we get to explore one of the rare examples of a still-working bar professional who's become synonymous with an already widely known drink, even more associated with it than the person or even the brand that created it. The cocktail, of course, is the Amaretto Sour, and the person in question is returning friend of the show, Jeffrey Morgenthaler, Portland-based author, bar owner, just general trendsetter. Seriously, it seems like every drink or technique this guy touches turns to gold. Now, having a profile like Jeffrey's is, I think, one of the necessary ingredients for doing what we mentioned up top there, i.e. becoming the go-to person for an already established drink. But the other key component of this equation is adding or introducing a revolutionary ingredient or technique. We're going to learn exactly how Jeffrey did that with the Amaretto Sour right now, listener, as we kick off this week's episode, the Cocktail College Podcast. He's one of America's top three most famous Jeffreys, but I can assure you the only crime this man has committed is against our palates here in America. Mr. Morgenthaler, (laughs) welcome back to Cocktail College. (laughs) Please enumerate the crimes against the palates that I've I've, uh, committed. (laughs) I think, well, I mean, we covered it in a previous episode, which I think folks should definitely check out. The barrel-aged Negroni, number one. Is that a crime? No, it's not. It's not. I mean, crime against your liver, maybe. I think think what it was with that one is that we, we, as we got into in that one, it inspired maybe a lot of bad versions. Yeah. That will happen. It will, you know. Finest form of flattery. Yeah, that'll, that'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll say this, maybe people think that about the Amaretto Sour. You know, how many terrible penicillins are out there, do you think? You know, like, you know, once that, once that jumped the shark, I feel yeah. like anytime there's a classic cocktail, it's, it's going to inspire a bunch of bad ones. Uh, yeah, that's the way it goes. But you know what? I, I would argue today it's the opposite. Oh, there we go. Good segue. We're, we're, we're looking at a cocktail, yeah, that's maybe historically bad, but turned good. And I'm going to start with a question here for you, one you might not be expecting. What does the date February 9th mean to you? February 9th? Um, Oh, boy. Uh, uh, Nothing? Um, this February 9th, I have oral surgery. Is that that what you were looking for? (laughs) (laughs) Specifically here, speaking about February 9th, 2012, 10 Mm. years ago in a fortnight Mm -hmm. from now, this was the day that a young Jeffrey Morgenthaler, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, proclaimed to the world, I make the world's best amaretto sour. That was your post. It was 13 years ago, in case you forgot that the year is 2023. And not 11 years ago, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, started well then, haven't we? Oh, God. You, you still write in 2022 when you write a check at the grocery store? Or <laughs> <laughs> that old chestnut, you know, it, only, it works for a couple of days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, February 9th, 2022. I make the best Amaretto. So you know what? Uh, 13 years later or uh, 11 years later, I, I still do. And that's why we have you on the show here to talk about this drink. You know, we were going to cover that, you know, just a little glimpse behind the scenes here for the listeners, if that even works. Um, mm. We were going to cover this one first, but then we did, you know, we got into the Negroni and I think we did a great job of that. But yeah, it was fun. I'm excited to talk about this one today because, yeah, me too. Y- you know, this is, would you say that this is the drink that you have become perhaps most associated with in your career? Uh, I mean, it surely helps when you make bold statements like that on the internet. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, it sort of depends on who you are and what time of year it is. Like there are people, you know, we just got done with the holiday season and there are people that come down to the bar and they're like, eggnog, you're the eggnog guys. Do you do anything else besides eggnog? And I'm like, yeah, I've done a thing or two. Like, we just know you're for the eggnog, you know? So like, (laughs) it's like, depending on the, um, the crowd you run in. Um, but, but the Amaro Sour is certainly near the top of the list. And I think, perfect for this show and everything we do here too just because it is looking at something that's accepted known but looking at how you can really turn it on its head or or or, or just take it to the next level um for sure before we do that though before we look at the influence and and, and you know the tweaks you've made to this drink can you start by telling us some of the history here where it originates and and, and perhaps what drinking culture looked like at that time when the when the amaretto sour first bursts onto the scene you know best i can tell the amaretto sour was always a drink with commercial sour mix you know the the really the garbagey stuff in the plastic bottle you get from the grocery store or the the bar supply place that drops it off by the gallon i mean i remember my first my first cocktail job my first job you know where i was able to like mix cocktails uh, we got our sour mix in a gallon. It was a concentrate. And then we poured it into a, you know, store and pour and we cut it with water. And then that was our, our sour mix. Um, <laughs> but I digress the, um, you know, as, as far as I can tell, the original recipe really was just amaretto and sour mix from the seventies. And this, yeah, the seventies, uh, we're going to get into amaretto as a ca- category in a bit, but sure. ties as well to the importing of, uh, di Sarono, amaretto di Sarono. Yes. Yes. Delicious. Um, I did see a thing on Wikipedia that said that, uh, di Sarono first published a recipe on their bottle for an amaretto sour. There was amaretto and straight lemon juice. I don't know if that's, I mean, Liquor companies want to think that they invent cocktails that become popular, but I don't <laughs> think that's how it necessarily works. Like, I would imagine if I had to, just because I know how bartenders work, um, that somebody put amaretto in sour mix at a bar or club and it became very popular and it spread very quickly because sours and sour mix were popular at the time, right? The Midori sours and whiskey sours, yeah. and you know, you used some, uh, used, uh, a sour mix for your Tom Collins and your, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. I would imagine that De Serrano saw that happening, saw the rise in sales and saw that happening, you know, probably not on menus. There weren't really cocktail menus per mm-hmm. se back then, but, you know, just, just had their people out in the streets and, and saw that bartenders were making Amaro Sours with Sour Mix and decided to put it on their their the neck of their bottle with you know fresh lemon juice right because fresh lemon juice is classier i would imagine that that's how it went Mm -hmm. but it's hard you know pre-internet it's hard to sort of trace the you know the precise origin of of stuff like that particularly cocktails you know back then like it wasn't like you know I mean, you know, we'll talk about it in a minute, but like my recipe, I put on the, like you say, I put it on the internet with a bold claim that I make the best amaretto in the world. And you can kind of pinpoint that as the, the genesis of this like new amaretto recipe, but it wasn't like that in the sixties. And so, you know, there wasn't like a moment. It was just, everything was like really organic and, and we didn't have like a paper trail on everything. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned there Midori and, and, you know, you got to look at that period of the 70s. I wasn't around, but by most accounts, it seems that this is somewhat of a golden era for liqueurs, things that are kind of sweet. You mentioned, yeah, the Mid- oh, Midori, sour. Right. It stands to reason that bartenders would be looking around and go, okay, what other products of this ilk do we have to use into this, substitute into this very recognized formula that's easy for us? We're just buying sour mix, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially when you when you look at like my parents, you know, like the baby boomer generation of uh, cocktail drinking, they're still kind of drinking that way. Like they're still like, you know, a little uh, Bailey's and coffee after dinner, or, uh, um, you know, one of the many, you know, uh, like a BFK or a, a B-52, you know, as a sort of dessert drink for for after dinner. Um, but yeah, liqueurs were huge back then. I think they're becoming huge again. I hope. I, I like liqueurs. 
I don't know about you, but I, I love, I love a, a liqueur, obviously. Yeah. Same here. Actually, it's, it's, it's funny for in December last year, I just did a massive tasting of liqueurs for, for our kind of annual and ongoing roundup that we have on Vinepair. And I think something about that, that it's very exciting is a, a new wave of liqueurs. You know, I think we've seen bartenders, you, you can talk about Mr. Black, and I think the popularity of that even predates this espresso martini resurgence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chinola, they're vying to be the new, I don't know whether it's San Germain or, or Mr. Black itself, mm-hmm. but, you know, quality-driven brands bringing it into the modern era, this, the, the liqueurs. It's, it's exciting, yeah. Yeah, very much so. I, and I'm, I'm ready for it. Same here, but you know. very curious to hear what inspired you when you revisited this recipe and, you know, when would that have been, but also what was it about the Amaretto Sour that you were like, you know what, we can make a good version of this because I think now we are, there's, there's a certain movement among some bars to take drinks that are kind of cliched or old fashioned and applied new techniques to them. We've gone over the sex on the beach recently on this podcast. We've done the Long Island mm-hmm. iced tea in the past. So I could yep. see why someone might revisit the Amaretto Sour now. But when you were mm-hmm. doing it, what was the thinking there? And yeah, was that quite radical? Yeah, you have to understand what the climate was like back then. And and this, you know, my recipe really goes back to like 2010. I didn't put it on my website until like, you know, as you know, uh, 2012. But you have to understand what the climate was like. And it was, it was very much grounded in, you know, especially here in Portland. And I think, you know, New York and London and San Francisco were, were all about this idea that some drinks were good and some drinks were bad, right? Like, um, you know, we saw these articles in uh, newspapers from from and magazines from bartenders that were saying things like, you know, if you come into my speakeasy and you try to order a Long Island iced tea, <laughs> I'll ask you to leave. Yeah. Right. And, you know, there's no um, there's just there's no room for for drinks like the Amaretto Sour, or the Midori Sour. And, you know, even David Wondrich was, was kind of guilty of this. And that was the general like consensus was that, like, we've moved past all of these drinks now it's only acceptable to drink martinis and Manhattans and, you know, maybe a Tom Collins with fresh juice only. And, and, and that's kind of it, right? Like they, they kind of had to be spirit driven. They had to be, um, you know, the, from the classic cocktail canon. And, and that was, that was kind of it. And, and if you liked, you know, if you were a consumer and you liked, uh, let's say an Amaro sour, uh, you were, you know, you were a bad drinker. You didn't know what you were doing. Uh, there's no place for you. And I, you know, I started before most of these people, right? Like I started, yeah. I've been tending bar since 1996, which means I've been drinking since, you know, um, I turned 21 in 92. So, you know, I, I, I started, you know, my time in bars and in like 93, 94, whatever. And uh, Amaretto Sour was very much a drink at the time. Um, I remember having my first one, it was on, on one of my birthdays. I, I think it was pretty late, like maybe 24. Or so somebody bought me an Amaro sour and I liked it. It was good. I liked the almond flavor. Mm-hmm. I liked the sourness. I liked the combination of like sweet and sour and almondy and citrusy and bright, but dark. And it's just like, it's a good flavor. And so, you know, fast forward to 2010 era, when bartenders are saying like these drinks are bad, I that never landed with me. I was like, these drinks are these drinks are delicious. Like I make great drinks, but I love all drinks. You know, yeah. I love all these all these all these uh, old drinks that that I used to drink, and I, it just like really bothered me. One night, I was I was talking to a friend who was also um, who was also a guy who who didn't subscribe to that, and we were talking about the Amaro Sour, and I was just like. It's good. Like, what if you could make it, you know, with with fresh, you know, fresh juice? What if you could, you know, make it with egg white? And and I tried messing around with it at home and at the bar. And the problem with with amaretto and is it's it's weak. You know, it's not very strong, and it's super sweet. So those two things kind of fight each other. In that, like, if you just take amaretto and straight lemon juice and mix them together, 
you'll never get it to balance because by the time you add enough lemon juice, fresh lemon juice to balance the sweetness of amaretto, it doesn't taste like anything anymore. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you've used so much lemon juice. You've used like an ounce and a half of lemon juice to your two ounces or whatever of, of, amaros, of amaretto. Can't say amaretto without putting the word sour on it. <laughs> apologize. Um, but you've used so much lemon juice that now it doesn't taste like anything. It just kind of like tastes like a lemon juice cocktail. So, you know, one, I just had this, I worked in a bar that had like a pretty aggressive bourbon program. And I was like, what if you could just like make amaretto stronger? Like what, how would you do that? You know, I mean, you could add a, a little Everclear into the bottle, I guess, but that's sort of gross and dumb. But mm -hmm. I think that uh, whiskey and amaretto, I mean, everybody thinks whiskey and amaretto go well together. That's been a thing, you know, forever, like the Godfather and stuff like that. Um, so I threw in a little, uh, Booker's, you know, which is like 128 proof bourbon. <laughs> and it was like, that was the, that was the secret. That was the key to unlocking that problem. Yeah. And, you know, kind of the rest is, the rest is history there. I think it's a fantastic reminder as well of almost how unique it was, what you did here, because there is this thinking of, it seems very common now, right? To to be like, oh, yeah. I can become no. I'm not saying that this is what you were doing, right? But you could, if I were a young bartender these days, I could look at, you know, the connection of the amaretto sour to yourself and the work that you did with this cocktail, and I could say, all right, there's got to be another terrible drink out there that most people know that we can Absolutely. tweak slightly, and it can become a great version. And actually. That there's probably not that many candidates and, and you happened across a great one here with the Amaretto Sour, right? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, you set yeah, up yeah, this yeah. model, but yeah, you see it every day. You see these bar bartenders trying to sort of make a name for himself. They're like, you know, uh, I, I reinvented the Long Island and I clarified it yeah. and I, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> put you, I, so tall in it. And, you know, it's just like, oh, okay. You know, I, you know, I don't know if that was the, the problem was that it wasn't clear enough or it didn't have enough like obscure agave spirit in it or whatever the thing is that you're doing to it. Like, yeah, there's a temptation to go too far, right? There's a, or, or to try a little bit too hard, right? Like you can't force it. And again, I think that's what the brilliant part is about your version of this drink or also just, yeah, you didn't have that intention to be like, okay, this is the thing I'm going to become known for this. It was just like, actually, no, this is better than people realize. Right. And it's not just for the sake of being contrarian. And I think when you bring yeah. all those variables together, it seems like a, yeah, like I said, like a model that you could apply to so many drinks, but actually maybe not as many as you think. Yeah, we were also trying to do something very different with our bar, Clyde Common at the time, which was to not be just the place that was known for sort of like snooty mixology cocktails, but a place that made really good drinks. And so the message with the Amaretto Sour was there are no bad drinks. There are only bad bartenders. You know, like you can you can order and we put it on the menu. It was just like a, a signal to uh, all of our guests that like, yeah, you can order that here. You can. You know, we know how to make it. We know how to make it really well. I, I'm sure they'll kick you out of whatever bar down the street, but we won't. We'll just make <laughs> yeah. you a really delicious one, you know? And I think that was, a, um, you know, catching a, a sort of sea change at the time, um, which is a, a good thing for bars. Yeah, and hearing you talk about that era reminds me of a story I wrote years ago um, about vodka and how it kind of lost its cool and appeal and, like, what happened there. And I remember interviewing... Um, Derek Brown for that. And he was talking about that exact period that you mentioned earlier where mm -hmm. bars would go out of their way to not stock vodka. And I think, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that now I can go to any very good cocktail bar in New York or any city and ask for a vodka martini, 99.9% .9 of them are not going to turn me around and say, you know, we don't have vodka here or actually you should drink that with gin. So I think that speaks to the right. progress we've made as a as kind of cocktail totally. culture, right? Like, Totally. Wa Joaquin, Joaquin Simo uh, had the best quote ever about vodka. And that was, uh, uh, if you don't drink vodka, I guess you're probably just not eating enough caviar, which <laughs> is like just so, such a great way of turning it on its head. You know, I love it so much. I bet that man eats caviar for breakfast as well. You know, I you know. Oh, I've, I've eaten caviar with him within the past <laughs> month. <right? laughs> Makes so much sense there. 
Um, <laughs> fantastic. So that's the background of, you know, your, your, your own relationship with the drink, how you came to approach it again, the history of it before DiSarono. Um, let's briefly talk about the profile of this drink, y- your intended profile here, because that amaretto flavor, I'm very mm. sensitive to it. You know, the marzipan, fake mm-hmm. almond flavor. But surely th- there's got to be a right balance there, right? Because you, you have to know that this is an amaretto cocktail. Like you said, otherwise it can become a lemon juice cocktail. So where is the sweet mm-hmm. spot for this drink? The sweet spot for this drink is is really that, you know, people talk about balance and it's always about a balance of sweet and sour. And there's so many other balances um, to talk about. And strength is, is I think, one of the most important types of balance in a cocktail. Uh, so, you know, for me, that sweet spot is where you get the sweet and the sour, of course, but also you get the balance between strength and amaretto flavor. Because, you know, we're not trying to cover up the amaretto. We, we're trying to... We're trying to celebrate the amaretto and the amaretto sour. Um, so hitting it with that, just that right amount of strength is, um, that's really the, the sweet spot for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a real fascinating concept and one we covered in a completely different, although maybe not that different type of drink recently in the Blue Hawaii, looking at vodka there, using yeah. kind of boosting that. Uh, I do love this idea of kind of adding strength while still trying to maintain the, the star ingredients profile. Um, let's dive into amaretto though, because I don't know how many episodes we're going to cover it in. This is certainly the first, perhaps the last, who knows? Maybe, like you said, the godfather <laughs> there. But uh, first of all, what does it mean, amaretto? What's, what's the background of this liqueur? Mm, well, I, you know, I'm, I, despite the fact that I do make a great amaretto sour, I'm not much of an amaretto historian. <laughs> I, I can tell you it's, it's probably related to the, word amaro um i believe it means like uh, little amaro little bitter yeah so little it's not amaro, as bitter right not as bitter yeah and and originally made with um apricot kernels so apricots and almonds are i believe both in the droop family again i could be wrong if you have any uh uh, comments or complaints, please direct them to Tim at Vinepair. Uh, <laughs> that's literally it. That's tim.mccurity at vinepair.com. That's just Tim. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, you know, and and uh, I've actually tried to make it, you know, where you uh-huh. take a bunch of apricots and you crack open, you got to crack open that like that, that weird shell that's on the outside, you know, that looks like it's the seed, but actually contains the seed you gotta mm-hmm. crack that open and then you get this little thing that's like the size of a sunflower seed just about um that's the the kernel and you soak those in brandy and uh you know soak a ton of them in brandy and hit them with sugar mm-hmm. and that's you know essentially how you make amaretto apricots or almonds apricots apricots wow apricot pits yeah that's where amaretto originally came from was apricot pits wow okay well which is crazy because it's so much work like it's so intense it's wild yeah and especially when amaro itself exists i'm guessing beforehand Right. right like you know it's a great product but um probably more fascinating in a way is that i might be wrong here but i've you know, looked at your preferences and your writings on this drink and you don't go for Di Serrano. Is that correct? Uh, I do. Yeah. I oh, mean, we do, do uh, Di Serrano at the, um, at the bar. Um, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I love Amaretto and I, I kind of love them all. I love Lazzaroni, mm-hmm. um, a lot, which is, um, I hear made from, um, you know, those cookies that you get at Christmas, those little Amaretti cookies mm-hmm. that are wrapped in paper by Lazzaroni. They, they say that, uh, those, that their Amaretto is made by soaking those cookies in, in brandy. Oh, I nice. don't know if that's true or not, but, um, holy cow, like how great that be if it were true. Sounds phenomenal. Um, yeah, I love Luxardo Amaretto as well. I love them all. Yeah. But so I, I, I think it might strike some people as surprising that this is a, this is a category and not a category of one as we've maybe come to kind of like Bailey's and Irish cream liqueurs or whatnot, like that this actually can exist as a, as a whole thing. Uh, There's a ton of them. And now that Amaretto sours are so popular again, 
There are new amaretto's popping up. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's someone in America doing it as well, being like, you know what, American Amaro, it's a thing now already. It's maybe even becoming slightly saturated given the demand for it. So I mean, uh, yeah, you're not wrong. We'll, we'll bring the amaretto. I do remember my own first experience with specifically Disarono. Uh, there's very few. I think drinks or brands that, you know, that stands out. But uh, if you'll allow me to share this slight personal anecdote here, I was, I was I believe mm. I was 19 years old, headed on an overnight ferry from Hull to Amsterdam um, okay. with a couple of friends. And the main draw of this ferry, as I can recall, is that it had a casino. And we were like, this is fantastic. <laughs> we're not going to sleep. You know, we're going to be up all night at the casino. It yeah. ended up being a couple of slot machines and one guy bought a whole bottle of Amaretto. There's six of us sharing a sharing a, a room oh in this ferry. And the guy drank the whole bottle on his own and it didn't end well. And, you know, wow. as, so it's kind of put me off for a while. But I, sure, know. sure. Yeah, I can just I, I remember those days like I can, I can imagine six people in a room sharing a bottle of Amaretto <laughs> and everybody for trying it for the first time and going like, this is really smooth. Exactly. <laughs> imagine at 19, you're like, this is great. It doesn't even taste like yeah. booze. Yeah, uh, exactly. You can't even that's that was the mark of quality back then. Was, was <laughs> that you, couldn't, you couldn't taste the booze. Just so sweet. And and you got to wonder how did whoever it was in the group, how they first came across it. I'm guessing parents liquor cabinet, but one hundred yeah. percent. But I think all of which is to say that this is a category. Amaretto as a style is, yeah, less bitter, more sweet than yep. standard yep. Amaro. And what kind of ABV are we talking? Less than 40% for sure. Less than 80 proof. Uh, hence why we're going to move on to the next one, which is, you know, whiskey, but off the top of your head. Oh, I think it's like 25. It's been a while since I looked at that sheet, that yeah. spreadsheet. Um, that sounds about right. right, though. So 25. So again, as you mentioned before, you look at that and you say, actually, what this cocktail needs is not more sour, but maybe more booze. And so you turn to cask strength specifically? Cask strength bourbon. Yeah. The stronger, you know, the stronger, the better, um, which is a bummer because uh, cask strength bourbon is so much harder to come by now than it was then. Like I, you know, it, if it's any indication how long ago it was like the cask strength bourbon that I made it with back then was Booker's. Yeah. <laughs> Booker's bourbon was was readily available. Yeah. Pretty inexpensive. It was like $60 a bottle, but we were only using like a three quarters of an ounce at the bar. So, you know, the drink itself was like maybe 12 bucks. And you could get that readily. You know, you weren't worried and about it. You could get it. You could call, you go to the liquor store and just buy a bottle of Booker's. And now it's like you have to get on some sort of waiting list. It's wild. Um, I mean, I saw... Wild. I was looking, doing, you know, sleuthing the internet, looking at other people's recipes, and most of it is just people adapting your own recipe. I saw someone else using Colonel E.H. Taylor, and I'm like, times have changed a lot. <laughs> because, right. again, no one's putting the Colonel in cocktails these days. No. I mean, sh shoot, when when I came up with that, like, that wasn't even a... I don't even think that was a product um, <laughs> back then. Like, I don't think Colonel E.H. Taylor, there was old Taylor, but I don't think Colonel E.H. Taylor existed. Yeah, it's it, it's really wild, you know, that, you know, people, yeah, just how the bourbon market has changed. And so you went cask strength, not and not even just, you know, 100 proof, 110, you went cask strength, you just thought, you know what, we're going to use, because you... I would imagine what that allows you to use less to not overpower the flavor, but maximum strength. Is that the thinking? Yeah, exactly. To like really, you know, because we're using an ounce of lemon juice in this recipe to, to, you know, kind of balance it. So you need a ton of alcohol because you're not just overcoming the low ABV of the amaretto but you're also overcoming the low ABV of the lemon juice and the egg white. Mm -hmm. So you really got to hit it with like a big, big, big punch. Phenomenal. And, and yeah, and also just anecdotally speaking, like Booker's, the, the, the whole beam line of, um, of whiskeys, or there, there's a certain, you know, line of them, I'd say Knob Creek too. I, I, I love, there's a lot of chocolate there. There's peanuts, there's mm -hmm. caramel, you know, these are the kind of things that, 
I imagine I would like to be eating alongside this drink or, you know, a kind of amaretto dessert. Yeah, it's funny. You're the only other person that I've um, heard uh, refer to the peanut characteristic of of uh, the beam distillates. And I think that that's such a um, smart. I've always said the exact same thing. Like you really get just like big, like chocolatey peanut butter, you know, and I mean that in the kindest way. Like I love peanuts and I love peanut butter. Yeah, yeah. it really is. It's it's like drinking a boozy Snickers here. Uh, you know, yeah, for me, so good. It's really so good. good. It is a boozy Snickers bar. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if you want the ultimate one, I think it was the. Uh, I mean, you're going to have to search for this one, but I think it was called Grandma's Batch. I think it was the first one of 2020. I might wow. be making that up from Booker's, but I remember that one specifically. I'm like. Oh my God, this is, this stuff's phenomenal. I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. What would happen if we strayed into the territory of rye? And I, I, when I mention rye, I mean like these 95% rye rather than maybe a Kentucky style that's perhaps just 51% and could pass as a bourbon itself. Mm-hmm. Any temptation to do that or does that maybe savory spiciness just, is that at odds with the rest of the ingredients? Maybe I've never actually really tried that. I can't imagine it. I, you know, I don't think you're going to improve on really delicious cast strength bourbon in this recipe. I mean, you know, try, but, um, I don't, I don't know if fries, you know, I'm sure it's going to be interesting, but I don't know if fries really the right call for this. Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if it's already fixed. Kinda. Yeah. It's already fixed. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen people trying to fix my fixed recipe, you know, like, I, like I fixed the amaretto sour, you know, I'm like, okay. I used, I used rye whiskey. I have seen people with, with rye whiskey, um, you know, in their recipes saying they, they fixed it, but like, okay. Yeah. Cool. And I think, no, I, I guess maybe that pops to my mind too, because I believe if I'm not misremembering um H. Joseph Ehrman over there at Elixir in San Francisco believe favors a rye for his whiskey sour which is a, sure. a, a cousin of this of this cocktail but yeah like I just love um I mean rye is great I love rye but I just love a big round almost flabby bourbon you mm. know like yeah. it's just it's just the perfect uh it's just the perfect spirit to me one of the one of the perfect spirits Actually, you know, if I, I'll throw one option in the mix here Mm. for you, because you know where, you know, we talk about peanut just there and in some of the beam distillates, cherry for me is Michter's. That's the calling card there. If you've got a Mm. bottle of, you know, 10 year old rye lying around Mm -hmm. as I do, you know, it's, you know, for cocktails and stuff like that. As one does, yes. Yeah. You know, I I would imagine maybe that works because, you know, cherry, I start in my mind, well, you know, when people are making quote unquote natural flavors of cherry, they're actually just using like almond essence there because for some reason, right? right? So maybe there's some friends there, but yeah, not again. If you want to talk about Booker's getting hard to hold off, well, you know, Michter's is just. Yeah. Michter's hasn't been super easy for us here in Oregon to find any of them. No, they're, they're, they've, they've gone off the Richter um, right there, or off the Michter, you might want to say. Uh, yeah. you know, that's just natural. <laughs> that's just the kind of thing you get on the Cocktail College podcast, things like that, you know. I can't believe this is still free, Jeff. I can't believe it's still yeah. free. You get, and you get paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> Phenomenal. Um, all right, so bourbon, amaretto, we're down. You're saying, you know, the, the amaretto category is open for exploration. Bourbon, you're going cast strength. Lemon juice. What? Yeah. Original what brand of insights. lemon juice do I, do I use? Is that what you're about to ask me? Which brand? I was going to say I mean, what original. So many, so many great ones, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, how do you feel about the rebranding of Jif to Sif? Or is it vice versa? Jif to Sif? I think that might be a completely British reference that's lost on everyone. Oh, so yeah. No, I don't, I don't even get that one. You don't get that lemon juice here in the States that's packaged in a plastic lemon that you keep in your fridge? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, here it's called real lemon. Ah, uh, well, let me guess. They're going double E instead of EA? No, it's, no. Uh, but, 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 uh, this, and this is the, the trick is it's, um, there's only one L it's, it's one word. It's real lemon. Uh, so I'm sure you get around it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that way. Uh, I haven't, I haven't, um, I haven't bought one of those as a joke in a long time. I, maybe I should do that. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, 
phenomenal concept. It looks like a lemon in the fridge, but you know, you quickly grow up and and, yeah. and soon learn that these things aren't good. No, I mean, lemon juice <laughs> is, it's an ingredient that we've covered so often, but so anything maybe original or off-piste that you want to add no, about fresh lemon juice not, that you might? Not at all. And, no. and honestly, I'm, I'm personally really suspect of anyone that's doing anything, um, original to fresh lemon juice. <laughs> it's, you should squeeze it, you should strain it, and you should call it a day like, at that point. Like, I don't think there's a, much else to say about lemon juice. You're in the straining camp. I'm in the straining camp, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to, you're probably, you're going to, if you're doing it right, you're going to strain it out eventually anyway. So I, I think it's more important to strain it before you measure than after you make the drink, because if you're going for accuracy, you want to, um, you know, you want that exact one ounce and not one ounce minus whatever pulp was in there. Good point. Very or good point there. Yeah. Sweetening agent, simple syrup or any other thinking here? Two to one simple syrup, just plain old white sugar, two to one simple syrup. It's perfect. Measured by weight. Mm. Has rich simple overtaken simple as the... I feel like I don't know what other people to. are using. We've been I've been using Rich Simple for like a decade and a half in my bars. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, I don't know if people I don't know what what people are using. If people are using one to one out there, but we're using we've been using two to one forever. It's slightly less simple because it requires you to do a little bit of math, which is, you know, going two to one. But otherwise, it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If if you need a recipe for that, I'm sure there's one on my website. <laughs> <laughs> I believe the date was March 13th and Jeff yeah. Morgenthaler declared, I make <laughs> the best simple the best syrup. Two to one. <laughs> I make the best two to one simple syrup. <laughs> I think I also came across your entry in the Oxford Companion for that one. But, you know, that's fodder for another day. Um, yeah, that's possible. One thing I was impressed about when I was, you know, going over this post, you're still getting back to the people responding to comment. People are asking you all these stuff and you're there in the comments yeah. section getting back. You know, yeah. so, some people might think, you know, maybe you're above that these days. You're, you're bigger than that, but no, you're there. <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah, I don't know. Do you know something I don't know? I don't feel bigger than that. <laughs> uh, Man I- of the people just out there responding to the comment. No, but I, no. Genuinely, I'm yeah, like, I, to see. I still participate in the website all the time. I haven't posted as much as I would like to just because the bar opened about seven months ago and it's been so damn busy that I just haven't had time to do a ton of posting, but I'm starting to come out of the woods and see the light a little bit and, um, you know, and putting up new content and, uh, particularly I've been recording some videos and putting those up there. So very um, nice. Fun. Very yeah, nice. but I love it. I, I, I always I always get in there and, and respond to questions because it's important. Fantastic. And and one comment, I, I'm sorry here that I didn't note down the person's name. I should, but I want to give them mm-hmm. full credit. That they asked you that relates to our next ingredient, which is egg white. And someone mentioned that I believe maybe in the video you were pouring it from a squeezy bottle. And mm-hmm. their question was, how long can you keep that in the bottle for before it maybe starts to take on a smell? I mean, if you've had egg white in anything, then you put it in a dishwasher. My God, the thing is humming. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh yeah. So any tips there for us? Longevity for that? I think, um, you know, the health department says uh, a few days. I, you know, I wouldn't push it past like three days probably. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about it. But eggs, eggs are pretty resilient. You know, eggs... Uh, Eggs don't, uh, they don't just easily go bad like a lot of things do. No, a hundred percent. You know, yeah. And I, I think we might have discussed this before and, but you know, just this idea of keeping them in the fridge here in the U S you know, we do something completely mm-hmm. different in the UK, um, kind of same with butter, but when you're putting those egg whites in the bottle, a fresh mm-hmm. egg white maintains its, its structure, Right. Like when you, yeah. if you have 10 egg whites, say for example, that you've cracked perfectly into a shaker tin and you try to measure a very accurate 15 milliliters, it's simply not going to work, right? Because the, it maintains its structure. So you're going to get a whole egg white in there. Yeah. It's, it's like a, um, it's just like a big thing, a snot coming out of that yeah. squeeze bottle and it just like <laughs> sort of gloops into the, the jigger. Yeah. Um, 
you gotta you gotta lightly beat them. So what we do at the bar, and this might be overkill for the home user, but what we do at the bar is because um, we do we make a batch of fresh egg whites every single day because we go through a ton of them. We um, crack them into a, a shallow container, and then we take a um, immersion blender and we run it on low just to break up all of those protein strands that are yep. that are keeping the egg white sort of intact and together. Um, we're not whipping them. We don't want to create a foam. We just want to like really gently break all of those up so that you can put them in a squeeze bottle and measure um, accurately that 15 milliliters or half an ounce here in the U.S. Um, without without the river of snot. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, re- <laughs> I really appreciate that because it's something I've thought about because on the other hand, you can say, well, you know, use one fresh egg white because that's the way it's going to come out. But then on the other hand, how big is an egg white? You, how fresh is it? All this stuff. So you want to be more accurate, but immersion blender, that's the, that's the trick there. Really gently. And the, the great thing about breaking up your egg whites um, like that pre shake is you don't have to do any of these goofy shaker techniques where you like you do this like dry shake or you like put the, <laughs> the spring from the strainer in there and shake <laughs> that for a while or you don't have to like use one of these like weird plastic cubes or anything you don't have to do anything you just if you have a good shake you can take that you know very lightly beaten egg white put it into a cocktail shake it like a normal human being and have it come out looking great and tasting great what is it about eggs that makes people constantly overthink things? Because I'm thinking another great example of this is poaching an egg. And now, mm. you know, you hear all these magic tricks, you know, oh, yeah, vinegar. vinegar. Or you got it. Yeah, exactly. When I used to work on brunch in restaurants uh, in the kitchen, some of the things I would see guys do, I mean, these these eggs were practically cured because they were being boiled in right. 50% right, right, vinegar right. solution. <laughs> People stirring the water. I don't know, man. It, it's very simple. Fresh eggs. That's it. Very simple. And and just like one little uh, mention on technique, like the, the point of having egg white in a sour is to provide it with like a sort of rich silky mouthfeel. The point is not to get a three inch egg white head on top of the drink, right? That's, it looks cool in photographs. It doesn't taste great. It sort of tastes kind of like aluminum. Um, it's got that like real egg whitey, you know, kind of cummy flavor Mm -hmm. and smell. And it's just like, you know, you're, I think you're missing the point when you're like really trying to apply 10 different scientific techniques to your egg whites to try to get this like monster, like beer foam head on it. Yeah, like the, like the Ramos gin fist, right? You know, you want something right. almost more like a milkshake with a nice little frothy head rather than totally. this thing that towers above it, right? towers Extra. above it like and that's and when you do that that's just all egg white and basically butter that's <laughs> on top of the drink yeah you know so how about you talk us through that preparation now along with measurements as if you're making this drink for us right here today i mean it's super easy i start with um an ounce and a half which is 45 milliliters of amaretto the amaretto of your choice uh like i said we use di serrano at the bar but uh the other two that i mentioned lazaroni and and um, Luxardo Luxardo are both fantastic as well. Um, I feel like, I feel like Di Serrano is kind of the original, you know, and I, we, we, that's why we use that, you know, it's sort of like the OG. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so 45 milliliters of that. We then uh, do uh, three quarters of an ounce of cast strength bur- bourbon, the stronger, the better. Um, that's 22.5 milliliters for those of you not in the United States. Um, do a full ounce of freshly squeezed, strained lemon juice, um, half, uh, which is 30 milliliters. Uh, egg white, as as we noted, lightly beaten, very lightly beaten. You're not trying to, um, you know, you're not squeezing out a bunch of foam into the um, jigger, just a, a nice, silky smooth egg white. Um, that's half ounce, 15 milliliters. And then I do a teaspoon of two to one simple syrup just to bump up the richness teaspoon is five milliliters. Mm -hmm. Um, just to bump up the richness, bring a little bit of that sweetness back, um, 
I've tried it without. Um, I've seen people say that um, they leave it out because they think the drink's too sweet. It doesn't really register um, as sweetness as much as it does body yeah. and yeah. mouthfeel. Um, so I think that 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 teaspoon of two to one simple syrup is is really crucial. Um, and then you know the best ice cubes, the coldest, largest ice cubes you can get, shake the heck out of it, strain it into, I do a old fashioned glass, you know, like a 10 ounce old fashioned glass, classic old fashioned glass straight in there, top with ice. And then, you know, my preferred garnish is a big, beautiful lemon twist, preferably done with a cheese slicer as per my website. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) And then, um, and then I, I, we like to use a brandy cherry cause I, I like that classic Amaretto sour, um, presentation, which is the flag, right? Like a lemon wedge and a maraschino cherry, a bright red maraschino cherry with a toothpick speared through them stuck onto the side. We do a big, beautiful lemon twist, squeeze that over the top into the foam, you know, kind of nestle it in there and then put a, uh, amarena cherry, a brandied amarena cherry on a toothpick and, and kind of. Um, tuck that into the peel. Phenomenal. And that's it. Yeah, that's it. Fantastic. And, you know, stunning, stunning looking drink in my head here and the, the photos that you see out there. Uh, maybe if you are going Luxardo, you can you can go for their cherries as well. You know, if you're, if, mm, if that's yeah. the Amaretto brand you're choosing. Um, yeah, that technique as well. By the way, someone else brought it up on this uh, podcast before. I forget exactly who it was. You know, you and the old cheese slicer for the mm-hmm. lemon for the lemon twist. Yeah. I came across that video, I want to say December of 2021. Um, I think that's maybe when I posted it. I, yeah. you know, I was all over this. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's crazy? We, um, you know, we've of course adopted it for the bar. We don't have white peelers at the bar. We just have the cheese slicer. And, and normally when I open a new bar, we have a, an entirely new staff. It's like bartenders are going down. Like, you know, there's one in the emergency room every couple weeks, people are losing fingertips. There's blood every, you know, it's just like a, (laughs) it's a fucking, you know, it's just a a war, war scene. (laughs) Um, it's like the beginning of saving prior Ryan. It's just, people are just going down. (laughs) We have not had a single, we've been open for seven months now. We haven't had a single fingertip injury from the, from the cheese slicer, not a single one. And we are busy as hell. We are high volume. And so we haven't lost a single fingertip to, to the cheese slicer. I mean, it really is a, a miracle cure for, for, I mean, I've, you know, I've been in the emergency room. I'm sure you have. I think yeah. all of us have been doing it for a long time. Have, have, uh, have lost a finger. Nah, I or two. Fend- you know, great, great tip there. What, what is it? So you, you just wake up once every couple of months and you're like, I'm going to change this as well. You know, barrel-aging Negronis, you know, you're, you're revisiting the Amaretto Sour, you're changing the way we peel lemons. What's next? Can you give us a pre, can you give us an exclusive here on Cocktail College? What's hey, next? Hey, stay tuned, stay tuned to jeffreymortadella.com for more <laughs> finger-saving tips. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, that's everything, unless you have any final thoughts on the Amaretto Sour before we move into the next section of the show. Final thoughts? It's a delicious cocktail. Everybody should try one. Yeah, go ahead. Make it. Enjoy it. Very nice. Well, we have a new set of questions for you. New for yourself. Uh, We've had it a couple of times here, but you're in the minority here of return guests. Um, Mm. Excited to get you Who else has been a return guest, by the way? Toby Cicchini, um, unfortunately. um, We had... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes yeah, so we've had you know brian miller back as well richie Bacall, a handful of people back but um that's great no yeah it's been it's been great to have you back on today and also yeah like i said introduce these new questions to you that's great being here we'll start with question number one okay or number six depending on which way you look at it which spirits category are you currently most excited about right now oh boy i mean you know i um I I don't drink a ton, um, but since it's winter here, I've been ending a night or two a week with a, a tiny little bit of Scotch whiskey, which I haven't had in a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, oh boy, I kind of forgot. Like <laughs> it's like I really like this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like always. I mean, my long time, just like number one, very favorite 
spirits category, scotch whiskey. And I don't get to talk about it much because I'm always yeah. brought in to talk about cocktails and there just aren't a ton of scotch cocktails to talk about. You know, so usually true. ends up me talking about gin or bourbon or something like that. But um, just on its own, I mean, there's just nothing like scotch whiskey. It is it is uh, humankind's one of humankind's finest achievements. And where do you lean toward in terms of profile or style? You're a Speyside Highland guy, Isla whiskey. Oh man, I'm I'm just such a um, I'm just such a loser. I, I you know I like super rare, super strong nice. Isla smoky. You know I I turned up a bottle that I'd forgotten about, which is a probably ten year old bottle of. Um, Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, um, 19 year old Isla ex bourbon fill, distilled in 1996. Just absolutely incredible. It's called gl- uh, Fireman's Gloves on a Mermaid. It's just absolutely incredible. And I've been having just like the tiniest little sip when I come home from work, you know, sometimes nice. like on Fridays. <laughs> very, very nice. Yeah. No, some yeah. of those. Yeah. I'd keep it rare, keep it exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can always be the man of the people. No doubt. No doubt. And that's, you know, uh, yeah. One I had recently, I think it was a Blackadder, Red Snake, Peated, Cask mm. Strength, 60% ABV, I, I, I seem to recall. You don't get Cask Strength a lot of Scotch. One yet. No, not enough. But phenomenal. Um, all right, then, question number two. What was the last drink or cocktail that you had that truly wowed you? Oh man. I mean, that would probably, you know, back along the same lines, that was probably like the, I had some Lagavulin distillers edition from 2012. That Mm. was just absolutely incredible. I mean, um, other than that, like, you know, back to the Negroni episode, we, over the holidays, uh, we escaped to the, the coast for Christmas and I brought some mini bottles and made a, I believe 19, mid 1970s vintage, Negroni with vintage beef eater. Wow. Um, vintage Campari. Um, and then um, a little fresh vermouth. I, I don't trust those mini bottles of, I just don't trust like old, old, old bottles of vermouth. You mm. know, like too much can go wrong. So I brought some fresh vermouth and, and made us a couple of Negronis the way that, uh, the way that they would have tasted probably. In the 1970s, they were fantastic. Fantastic. Really stormy out. We're watching the ocean. We're drinking Negroni. It was stunning. Phenomenal. Sounds great. Question number three. What's one book you think every alcohol or cocktail enthusiast should own a copy of? And it doesn't have to be a recipe book here. You know, you mentioned Toby Cicchini, like his Cosmopolitan, his book Cosmopolitan was such a... um, formative book for me when I was not really coming up, but you know, when I was, I was probably 10 years into my, my career at that point when somebody turned me on to it, I think it had been maybe out of print for a while at that point. Um, but that is such a stunning, beautiful, um, portrayal of what it means to be a bartender that, um, I'm surprised that more people, more bartenders haven't read it. Mm Mm-hmm. A hundred percent agree. It's a it's a real great book. Um, Toby's really voice is. comes through in it a lot. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like you I, you know, I never got to go to Passerby, which was his bar, but I did. Um, just last month, I went and uh, walk. I was with Joaquin. We visited Phil Ward at um, Toby's uh, Long, Long Island, Island Bar, yeah. and the the no dancing sign is uh, prominently displayed on the back wall, which uh, I, I had to take a picture of. Nice. What did Phil? Yeah. What did Phil whip up for you? I'm sure he pulled something out. Um, he whipped, <laughs> he whipped, he whipped up a bunch of snark and sass for me. That's for sure. <laughs> I'd seen the guy, in, I'd seen the guy in years and years and years and years. I walk in and he just looks and he goes, "Oh God, yeah. this guy." <laughs> Good to see you, Phil. <laughs> that is usually the reaction, and you know, it's it's been confirmed by the man on at least half a dozen occasions that he's never appearing on this podcast so feel free to chat as much shit about him as you want you know Phil. oh <laughs> i know he's yeah, i don't even know if he has a smartphone at the- <laughs> <laughs> oh wonderful well you know it's a it's a favorite on this show uh and among many friends and people in the industry long island bar check it out but yeah check out toby's book little thought experiment for you too i like to think of eric alperin's book 
um, unvarnished. It's as if you may, it's as if, I'm not saying that he copied, I'm not making any accusations here, but what I'm saying is like that, if you read Toby's and then Eric's book, it really shows us how much cocktail culture and also the world has evolved. I'm sure there's certain anecdotes in Toby's book that he probably wouldn't want to publish today. I, I think it's brilliant that they're in there because it shows you how much kind of culture has changed. But yeah, read them side by side. Uh, it's 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 For wonderful. Sure. I even said I don't remember if I said it in my blurb for for the back of Eric's book or if I just said it over text to him. But like it really is like the the kind of modern version of Cosmopolitan, which, you know, is is high compliment. A hundred percent. All right, then question number four. If you could appear in one movie scene where alcohol plays a prominent role, which one would it be? And who would you like to play? Who boy. Um, bar scenes, man. There's, it's funny because like, um, there's so many, there's so many that make the bartenders look, like the bartender's job looks sort of goofy. Like there's cocktail. I love the movie cocktail, but like, you know, which, which scene from that movie do you really, although I will say that the, the, his first night behind the bar where he's getting hit in the head with the cash register and shit, that really <laughs> is like so many nights behind the bar for me, like just verbatim. Yeah. Um, or it's like some sort of scene where like the bartender gets killed, which I don't want to be in that. I would have to say, um, that first, that scene in, um, Goodwill hunting <sighs> where, where Matt Damon and Ben, ben Affleck are, are are in the bar and, and Ben Affleck's like trying to pick up Minnie Driver and her friend. And he's like, you know, Don, I know you. I know you from uh, a history class or what, you know, yeah. like he's like <laughs> pretending that he goes to call. And then the guy comes up, the like the preppy guy, and he's like he's kind of trying to humiliate him. And then Will Will uh, Hunting comes up and and just schools him uh. on colonial American economics, you know, and he's like. <laughs> And, and I love the line. It's something like, uh, do you have any, do you have an original thought of your own or do you have any thoughts of your own on that matter? Something like that. You know, like I just always want to like, whenever I hear people regurgitating, especially like cocktail, arcane cocktail knowledge or whatever, I always just want like, do you have any thoughts of your own on that matter? Um, so I love that scene, you know, and, uh, you got to love Casey act like coming in with the, like, at my boy's wicked smile, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like such a good scene. So good. I think that so may have good. also been the apples. How'd you like them apples? I mean, maybe yeah, not. Exactly. Yeah. I got a number. How you like them apples? Like, <laughs> oh, it's just such a great, such a beautiful movie. Uh, it's a great one. Sorry to say that it's the wrong answer. Oh, Okay. Well, it's actually not the wrong answer, of course. It's, it's, it's the correct answer, but one I was hoping you might have brought up or would have been. Mm. Here's another one to consider for today's show. Mm. Rick Dalton, otherwise known as Leonardo DiCaprio, once upon a time in Hollywood, mm. drinking eight... You know, I haven't God- seen it yet. Okay, well, the guy, the guy drinks eight whiskey sours the night before Jesus. he's supposed to record a very famous uh, record an important scene in a movie that's the, probably the reason it didn't come up you haven't seen that one but yeah the whiskey sour the amaretto so good one too good Woof. one too I, I i like yeah. goodwill hunting it's a classic yeah that's uh, that's that's a that's a good bar scene yeah i would just like to play the bartender in the background just watching that whole thing go down that's a you very know? good point for for this specific question like not something you ever consider when you're watching that sh- scene because you're so caught up in what's happening there but yeah just imagine being that bartender yeah just giving the bar a wipe as bartenders always do that's all they have time for <laughs> in a movie is just wiping down, just with, wiping down with a rag always wiping yeah just always <laughs> always always wiping uh, abw always be wiping oh brilliant time to lean time to clean oh <laughs> uh, maybe we should do that introduce at one point top movie tropes for bartenders that's definitely got to be up there it's, it's number oh one. god like, yeah no kidding yeah. the the wipe yeah <laughs> Yeah, I've got a bar full of people, but I'm just going to stand here just and wipe stand this in same there. spot. I'm just going to keep this thing on my shoulder right next to my ears and my hair. It's fine. Shoulder, yeah, let's get that bar rag touching my clothing, please. <laughs> like, God. <laughs> <laughs> Phenomenal. All right, then. Final question of today's show. Which modern classic cocktail do you think is deserving of more recognition than it gets? I mean... Do I just say the amaretto sour? I don't know. Like, 
Are you calling? I'd say your version is a modern classic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Um, modern classic. Yeah. I'll have to think about that and get back to you on my third time. Yeah. On the show. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 We'll do it. We'll be back. You know, we're just waiting for that next innovation. I'm going to be, you know, I'm already subscribed to jeffreymorgenthaler.com. You know, I'm in there. I'm in the yeah, comments section. I'll get section. right on that for you. I'll, uh, uh, I'll do my best to, I'll to be all change over it. our industry in the next couple months. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, we have reached our contractually obliged number of mentions of the website today. So I feel like <laughs> we're at a place to... <laughs> Do you, do you have a website you'd like to plug? Uh, Vimepair.com, as always. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram, Tim McCurdy. You can find me there doing nothing. Uh, yeah. That's it. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> All right, then, Mr. Morgenthal. It's been a blast, as always. Appreciate you always. coming back. Oh, um, thanks so much, Tim. Until next time. All right. Cheers, my man. Cheers. Okay, I know what you're thinking, folks. That was a lot of info. But here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is published on vinepair.com as a transcript. So you can check it out there all over again. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe. And please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen, folks. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vinepair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Grinberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.